This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. On Money FM 89.3, The Washington Report with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief with The Straits Times. Money FM 89.3, good morning. It's the Breakfast Huddle with Elliot Danker and Ryan Huang. Time to turn our attention now to the United States, where there was a massive breakthrough last week. Both Republican and Democratic senators reached an agreement on a $579 billion bipartisan infrastructure deal. But then President Joe Biden suggested that he would not sign off on the bill unless Congress also passed the much larger families plan at the same time. He had to clarify his comments, saying it was not his intent to create the impression that he was issuing a veto threat on the plan that he had just agreed to. But, you know, is this cleanup attempt from the White House enough to stave off uh, Republican defections from the bipartisan agreement? Let's get more analysis uh, about this and more from the United States. Straight Times Year's Bureau Chief Nirmal Ghosh is on the line. Good morning, Nirmal. Let's start off with President Joe Biden set to begin traveling the country tomorrow to promote the $579 billion bipartisan infrastructure agreement. Republicans are, of course, concerned over Biden wanting to approve his family's plan in tandem. Are we looking at a situation where we've got a bit of confusion over linking the two bills? Could that hamper progress, perhaps? Hi there. Good morning. Well, President Biden and the administration over the weekend tried to walk back what he said last Thursday, which was seen as holding one bill hostage to another, or equally holding the Republicans hostage to passing both. This came in the wake of the Republican backlash to him, apparently threatening a veto if both were not passed in tandem. Republican Senator Mitt Romney was on one of the Sunday morning shows saying linking was unacceptable. But since then, they recognized it had been walked back. The president on Saturday issued a statement saying it was not his intent to threaten a veto. But he did at the same time stress the importance to him and to the American people of the family's plan. He said in effect that he could not be blamed for wanting them to be passed in tandem. So the president served a hardball and got a hardball back and then adjusted his position to appease the Republicans. The fates of the two bills are separated again now, but of course this is not over yet. There are still negotiations going on. There is going to be a lot of calling and votes over the phone. The Republicans are likely to go along with the infrastructure bill. After all, they got one big thing they wanted, which is no new taxes. But pairing it with the families bill is a big no-no. All right. Uh, thanks for that, Normal. Uh, the Biden administration is trying to prevent further Republican lawmakers overhauling election rules by challenging Georgia's new Titan law. They're arguing that Republican lawmakers in the state intentionally discriminated because uh, state house testimony warned the law would disadvantage black voters and then adopted it anyway. How hard will this legal challenge be to prove GOP intent? Yes, so the complaint in United States versus Georgia, which is signed by the most senior lawyers in the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division, contends that several provisions of the Georgia law were adopted with the purpose of denying or abridging black citizens equal access to the political process in violation of the Voting Rights Act. The DOJ does not attack the entire Georgia law, and it does not directly attack what its critics say is the most troubling provision, which is that Republican officials can effectively take over local election boards that have the power to close polling places and disqualify voters, for instance. But it also asks that Georgia elections be placed under federal supervision. 
It is going to be hard to win this case because the judiciary is now stacked with conservative judges. This goes back to one of the most important legacies of the Donald Trump administration, which was appointing conservative judges. That was the long-term agenda of conservatives, and they got it done. The Georgia case is assigned to Judge Jean-Paul Boulay of the Northern District of Georgia, and he is a Donald Trump appointee. The Justice Department will not just have to prove its case, but convince conservative judges who tend to be hostile to voting rights claims and will likely be even more hostile of claims that white lawmakers engaged in intentional race discrimination. So it is going to be tough because this is going to turn out to be a bellwether case. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Uh, Nirmal, we also had news of a record level of undocumented migrants uh, arriving at the southern U.S. border this year. Uh, The White House obviously trying to grapple with political pressure over the growing migrant crisis. At the same time, you also have Vice President Kamala Harris making her first trip to immigration facilities in Texas. Let's talk a little bit about this visit. I mean, how else is the Biden administration trying to sort this issue out? It did not achieve much, to be honest. Look, the problem has such deep historical roots. It is so complex that she has been given a task that is both rather hopeless and almost definitely thankless. She has come out of this looking ineffective, really. She went to Mexico and Guatemala earlier, but she delayed going to the border. And when she went, she went to El Paso, which is several hundred miles from the Rio Grande Valley, where the bulk of the actual border crossings take place. So Texas Republicans blasted the trip as a photo op. Even a Democrat congressman, uh, Henry Cuellar of Laredo, that is a border district, even he said the VP's decision to go to El Paso was a politically safe one and she would get a better idea of what's going on if she had gone to the Rio Grande. So all in, not a great outcome for the vice president and no immediate impact in terms of mitigating the problem. The actual flow of migrants has defeated many administrations. And as for the receiving end in the United States, the current administration says it inherited a broken system, a system malfunctioning as well as inhumane. And they have tried to appease progressives in the party by fixing this, but they can't do both. They can't welcome and cater to limitless flows of migrants, many of them children, and stop them coming. Uh, Nirmal, since I got you on the line, I've been very curious about this and I wanted to get your thoughts. We read news of the ex-police officer, Derek Chauvin, who was convicted of murdering African-American George Floyd in Minneapolis in May last year. Now, he's been sentenced to 22 years and six months in jail. I am curious, Nirmal, about the reaction to this sentencing and moving forward. You know, what does it mean in terms of dealing with police brutality? The sentence has been generally applauded, though some have said it was not enough. It's worth remembering here what he was sentenced for. He kneeled on Floyd's neck for more than nine minutes, killing him. However, the verdict and the sentencing still leaves the question of police reform. Legislation that would ban chokeholds and qualified immunity for law enforcement. It's called the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. It passed the House in March, but has yet to pass in the Senate. Meanwhile, of course, many states are dealing with their own minorities' calls for police reform. There is significant mistrust between minorities in particular and the police. And at one extreme, you have calls to defund and even disband police. And on the other, you have those who want to give police the power and the impunity. And this also comes at a time of rising crime. This is an issue that has been 
on and off for decades and will remain for decades an ongoing point of contention. But now, of course, in the cell phone video era, the egregious violations are coming out much faster and more graphic. So there is way more tension and contention over this. Uh, on the line is Straits Times U.S. Bureau Chief Nirmal Ghosh. Final question, Nirmal, and very unfortunate news where it appears near Miami, Florida, an inspection in 2018 highlighted a major error in the original design of the apartment block that collapsed. We, of course, uh, have been seeing a lot of photos of it. Can you tell us about the concerns? You know, I mean, were they taken care of? What's the latest where search and rescue efforts are concerned? Yes, the latest as of a few hours ago is that the confirmed death toll was nine with around 150 people still unaccounted for. A huge tragedy. The search continues. There are rescue teams from Mexico and Israel involved as well. They are working 24-7. There is no shortage of expertise and resources, but the conditions are particularly daunting. There was a fire burning deep down inside the rubble, which was smoking. That was only brought under control on Saturday afternoon. There was also heavy rain on Saturday. So conditions are really, really grim and hazardous. And there is also a lot of pressure, obviously, from very anxious family members and loved ones of those unaccounted for. As you can imagine, there is only hope one can cling to in such a tragedy. So as you said, yes, there were structural flaws noticed in 2018. This building, Champlain Tower South, was built in 1981, so it is 40 years old. So in short, back in 2018, the engineering consultant wrote that the concrete deterioration at the base of the building needs to be repaired in a timely fashion to maintain its structural integrity. The report said there had been a major error at the design stage in drainage from the swimming pool deck, and that water had caused major structural damage. Now, the association that manages the condo talked about the report, but it was reportedly only recently, more than two years after that, they decided to go ahead with the repair job. This was a job involving millions of dollars, not clear exactly how much, but I saw a report citing a credit line of 12 million. And apparently residents were facing having to pay out anything from 80,000 to $200,000. Now the board, the association, is saying the report did not say the building was in danger of collapsing. City authorities are saying they did not see the report. But NPR, National Public Radio, saw the minutes of a meeting in which this building came up and one official said there was nothing to worry about. So we are going to see a lot of blame, a lot of running for cover, and it will be up to the investigation to unravel what happened. There is going to be a very serious investigation of what happened and the county, Miami-Dade County, has said it will conduct audits of all buildings that are 40 years old and older in the next 30 days. So as we have seen often in our business, This is another case of it takes a tragedy to wake everyone up and hopefully at least prevent more. All right. Thanks a lot for that, Nirmal. Been speaking with Straits Times U.S. Bureau Chief Nirmal Ghosh. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.